0: welcome to the journey to midwifery podcast i'm your host amber wilson a doctor nurse midwife turned podcast host it is our job and passion as midwives to listen to everyone else's story their journey their birth story now it's our turn to share so here i am asking these midwives what's your story Join me each episode to hear the journey, the passion, and the mission of Midwives today. Okay, today on Journey to Midwifery, I have Madeline, who is a midwife. Um, She's going to give us her intro in a moment, but she has some pretty exciting, cool passion projects that we're going to get into and we've been trying to catch up for a few months, so I'm glad we finally were able to connect. So say hi. Introduce yourself. Hi. Um,
1: I know. It's great to finally touch base with you. We have been trying to do this for a little mm-hmm. while, so I'm glad it's working out. Um, and yes, my name is Madeline Murray, and I'm a CPM. Um, I live outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm not currently practicing midwifery, although I did just have a birth Um, around Christmas time, my brother and his wife, my baby brother had their first baby. And so I did act as midwife for them over the past year. Um, And I attend births occasionally here and there, you know, helping friends, but um, I'm focused mostly on my little organization, which is called Believe in Midwifery. And it's sort of a advocacy um, organization, I guess, that um, tries to help midwives create more sustainability in their practices. I'm all about making more midwives um, to help more women (laughs) to make the world a better place. Yeah.
0: And not and avoid burnout as a midwife. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that um, too. So that's great. So let's start back from um, how long ago did you start working on becoming a midwife? How many years ago?
1: Um
0: eight about eight yes i
1: um although i say that i think it's kind of been something that i've been supposed to do forever i was actually born at home um which is you know a little unique um and even more unique for people that were born in the 80s um but yeah. i you know birth was always something and home birth specifically was something that i kind of always knew that I wanted to be involved in. It It was just different for me growing up. You know, a lot of my friends were born at home. My brothers were born at home. And uh, so when I got older, I started real, you know, and my friends started having babies when I was in my 20s. I kind of realized how different, you know, birth was out in the real world than I had always kind of imagined it to be. And so I always knew I wanted to be involved in it. But um, the burnout thing I kind of recognized even before I entered midwifery, you know, I noticed that it was going to be such a hard career and I wasn't ready to get into it at the time. Uh, And then I was able to see my first birth and that kind of sent me over the edge, like my first birth in real life was my sister-in-law who um, I had been with her for two labors, she had attempted home births twice and ended up with cesarean sections, and the third time, she had a VBAC supported by midwives at the hospital, and I was there with her, and uh, it was just the greatest thing I had ever seen, so I was willing at that point to kind of do it, you know, because I I finally saw and experienced what it really was, and I knew that um, I had it had to be part of my life. So my niece was born, uh, eight years ago in April. So, um, and then I started midwifery school that September.
0: Okay. And what was your program like?
1: I chose to go to midwives college of Utah. Um, so I lived in Atlanta at the time and I was a single woman. I was working as a nanny for most of my life up until that point. I already had a college degree. I went to the University of Georgia and got a degree after high school and then um, in advertising, which I wasn't really interested in even whenever I got the degree. But so then I was a nanny and I was traveling and had a great life. Um, And then but I didn't have anyone to support me through an apprenticeship. So for home birth midwives, which is what I am, a direct entry midwife, um, typically The apprenticeship model is that you work with another home birth midwife as her apprentice, and sometimes it takes from three to five years. And from three to five years, you are on call to go to births and appointments and all the things with that midwife, um, which means that you are virtually on call for that long. And that makes it pretty difficult to earn a living outside of that if you're not doing something else in the birth world, like being a doula or teaching childbirth education classes or something like that. So I kind of had to figure out a way um, to become a midwife without doing it that way, because I also, you know, didn't want to go into a lot of debt for for school. And so that first year, I just took academic courses at Midwives College of Utah um, and continued to work as a nanny. Um I think maybe for a year and a half, really. And um, so, and I chose MCU because there was a number of programs at the time, um, but theirs seemed a little bit more structured um, and they kind of boasted about, you know, even though it wasn't a brick and mortar school and you weren't, didn't. Have a cohort that you saw in person all the time. You still had a cohort and they had good interaction between the people that you were going to school with. They had something called sister circle. So you would meet with the same group of women that were going through the program at the same time. And so I liked both of those things about it. I liked that it was structured and it was going to keep me on a steady schedule, um, which is just something that I needed. And also that it was you know, for not being an actual place where you had to go and sit down and learn um, that there was still going to be a sort of social aspect to it. So that's why I chose that program.
0: Did you have to go to the campus ever? I didn't. And I
1: think that's changed now. I'm pretty sure that they have um, required conferences kind of to do clinical skills and things like that a couple times a year. And when I was there, no, I never I've never been. Mm -mm.
0: Okay. So when you moved on to the apprenticeship portion, how did you deal with that? So
1: I did it a little differently, too, than a lot of people are allowed to do now. I did two international placements. Um, So, yeah, so my niece was born in April and then I started school in September. The following December, I went after doing academic work for a year. I went to Haiti uh, for two weeks. And so here I am. I had been at one birth in my life so far and it was a loved one you know so I kind of went to Haiti thinking to myself like do I actually love this or did I just love it because it was my sister-in-law and my niece and the back and the whole thing um and so I was a little you know and of course going I, I had traveled a lot so I wasn't worried about that aspect of things and I was used to being in other cultures and other languages and all that but um I really was a little bit afraid that I wasn't going to really love birth, but I showed up, they picked me up from the airport and I was there for about an hour and a half when the first mom came in in labor. And so I was just going to be an assist or yeah. Basically an observe is what they were going to count for when I was there. Um, But I was doing some charting anyway and, you know, getting people water and, and things like that. But I ended up just jumping in to sort of the support role and I was rubbing the woman's back and, um, you know, I, I think, so I loved it. I loved it again. Uh, I ended up seeing 16 births when I was there in, in two weeks, being a part of 16 births. Um, and I think there's something really valuable in seeing birth in that context in the beginning of, you know, sometimes we didn't have power. So, you know our running water would go out and we would, you know, we would be washing sheets and buckets outside, Um, you know, just to see. And I saw hemorrhages. I saw babies need to be resuscitated. You know, you see these things happening and everything works out, you know, of course there was times where um, only one when I was there, but, of course, there is times where there needs to be transfers and, and things go wrong. But um, I think it's really did a lot for me as a midwife to kind of minimize my fear of birth, being able to see that many births in that kind of a environment. Um, so I did that in Haiti for two weeks and moved home. And then the following December, I think. Um, or maybe November, I went to the Philippines and I was in the Philippines for six weeks and I actually caught my first two babies there. Um, And I remember the, when I first got there, it's run by a woman from Canada, the place in the Philippines. um, And it's all Filipino midwives that work there. So we're learning under Filipino midwives, which I thought was really cool. Um, But she told me when I first got there, so you're going to catch a baby when you're here. And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) I was not ready, but I sure enough did. And, um, so that was six weeks. I don't remember how many births I saw there, a good number. And I did, I was able to do a lot of things and catch some babies and learn a lot more. And again, a similar kind of, you know, don't have all of the access to all of the things kind of environment. So, um, I think whenever I finally got to regularly attending births in the United States, which was, again, always outside of the hospital, um, I think it was a huge benefit to, to just not be afraid. And, you know, you just learn the steps and do the steps and um, then everything is most often okay. So, so yeah, two international experiences. Um, And then finally, I it was time where I was going to have to be on call (laughs) all the time, Um, which, like I said, from the beginning was something that I was not looking forward to. Um, But it was time for primaries and, you know, I was finishing my academic program and I needed to do something and I needed to get all my primary births. And so, again, I didn't well, I kind of had a choice to make between time and money. You know, I either was going to have to uh, finally start apprenticing with a midwife, home birth midwife here in my area, and to get the births the amount of numbers that I needed and the number of primaries and all that, it was going to take me still probably close to three years. Um, or I could go work at a birth center where I would be moving away from my family and um, I was going to have to get a private student loan, but it would only take me less than 18 months. So that's the choice that I made, and I ended up um, moving across the country to Oregon and worked at a birth center out there for 18 months, and that's where I finished my apprenticeship, um, learned a lot, made some great friends, and I think pretty much where Believe in Midwifery was born.
0: Mm -hmm. So I read a little bit about this on your... Website, I think. Uh-huh. Um, can you share why that circumstance sparked this passion for you? Yes. Um,
1: in you know, I I think it was something that I was always sort of destined to do too. Like I said, I knew that being on call was going to be hard for me. I'm a a woman who loves to experience life and experience the world, and I think there isn't any way for anyone to know what it's like to be on call until you actually do it. Um, You know, you think it's just going to be kind of inconvenient and frustrating, and you're going to miss things that you want to do, but you don't realize how kind of heavy it feels to Mm to always have to have your phone on, to always be checking it, to, you know, always be just a little bit on edge. You never know if you're going to have to just get ready and jump in your car and go, you know, anytime. If you're sitting around with friends, if you're just got home from a long clinic day and you're putting your feet up and, you know, eating a bowl of cereal or trying to finally relax or something like you can't ever really because you just have this little thing inside of you that, you know, you're going to have to jump. Um, and it feels heavy, and it felt especially heavy to me. And in addition to just that kind of stress, I also was in the Pacific Northwest, which I don't know if you've ever been there, but I had never been there before. And for a woman who loves to experience life and experience the world, it's a wonderland. I mean, you could go to the beach, to the mountains, to the desert, to hot springs like everything is just was just outside my grasp because I wasn't allowed to go longer than an hour away from the birth center for the whole time that I was there Um, and of course there were some things that were close enough but you know you can't go out of cell phone range and that kind of thing so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it was um, really hard for me when I first got there and so hard that I almost wanted to quit pretty much immediately. I, I remember I called my parents on the phone and I said, you know, I mean, this was about three weeks in, you know, maybe a month. And I was like, I can't, you know, this is not going to be for me. <laughs> um, my parents encouraged me to stick around. And and so I did, but I, I talked to some of the other students there. There were three students and three midwives at the time. The midwives did take turns being on call. And so I kind of worked out a schedule um, about how the students could also have a little bit of time off every month. And I talked to the owners of the birth center and asked if I could present this new schedule idea to the birth center at one of our staff meetings. And they said that I could. And so you know i did all these calculations and worked on the calendar and figured out a way that clients would still be getting continuity of care they would have two students assigned to them who would see them throughout prenatal care and then definitely one of them would be at the birth but in reality um one midwife and three and two students were always at the birth a primary and a secondary and so you know there would be, out of the five midwives that they met, the two midwives and the three students that they met, there would be three of those people at their birth. And, um, and I worked out the schedule that we would each have one week off every month, pretty much. And so I showed it at the meeting, and um, people asked questions, and it was kind of like they couldn't really – find any holes. They couldn't figure out how it wouldn't work for everyone. Um, But the midwives were kind of like, you know, that's just not really what midwifery is, is what they said. And that, um, you know, that's not what part of their job was to train me um, for what being a midwife was going to be like out in the real world. And that's not what it was going to be like. And but the The attitude or at least how I felt um, from their responses was that, you know, I wasn't cut out for this or I shouldn't be a midwife. You know, that's not what midwifery is. And so the other two students sort of backed off their support from me because they didn't want to be seen Mm -hmm. as like I was being seen as, you know, kind of this selfish um, in it you know, not for the right reasons kind of thing. But they also agreed that we could try it for a trial period. So we tried it for a trial period. And then that trial period never ended for the whole time that I was there because it worked out great and everyone was happy. Um, and I got to experience Oregon and I got to become a great midwife and learn from some great midwives and be at some beautiful births and just all around, um, Ended up being a cool experience, and so when I when I realized that you know that could be how midwifery was, um, that sort of kept me going because I knew that there needed to be a change because the way that that midwifery, at least home birth midwifery, is, um, isn't working for a lot of people, and uh, and I thought. I needed to finish because if I finished and I was an actual midwife, then I would have a little bit more clout um, to sort of be in the system in order to help change the system.
0: I mean, I have so many things and thoughts about that. Great. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm glad that they came around and gave it a chance because obviously it worked out. but. Just the initial reaction of thinking that that's not how midwifery is. Like, how can you be the best midwife and give support if you have no self-care, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. And the and um, the f- fact of the matter is that eventually, every once in a while, it gets to the point where we can't. But... Most of the time we can because mm-hmm. you know it is what we do, it is what we're passionate about. I mean, you know, I remember one of the students there had her live in boyfriend of like four years or something break up with her, and then she got a call to come to the birth center to go to a birth. And you know, what did she do? She got in the car and came to the birth and she walked into that birth room and shoved all of her feelings down. Cause you can't walk into a birth room
0: mm-hmm.
1: bringing in any of your stuff and we don't. And so, you know, that's why it, so many of us don't last a lifetime. Um, because we do give good care over and over and over and over again but it's to the detriment of ourselves
0: right so yeah and I practiced a little bit of home birth but I walked into it Mm -hmm. with the shared call right I can't and even that at some point was daunting because sometimes like if somebody was on vacation there was only two you're still kind of the backup um so I just I can't even imagine not having any time yeah, and I think you're doing, I'm excited to hear a little bit more, but to change the culture and to let people, clients, birthing families know that, you know, you might not have this one midwife the whole time, but it's really actually better for you mm-hmm. because you have a refreshed care person. Right. Right. And that's your whole point.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's part of my thing is that I want to, um, not just, educate midwives about it, but also educate mothers about it, because I don't Mm -hmm. think that mothers actually know what it is that we do. You know, what mothers get is us walking in with a smile and encouragement and, you know, acting like we're so thrilled to be there when our, you know, three-year-old is at home with a really high fever and we don't want to be there. You know, we want to be home with our three-year-old or, Or anything. I mean, it's it's any number of things. And sometimes it's important, but sometimes it's even smaller things. You know, you're have a best friend's 40th birthday dinner, or um, or your kid's soccer game. I mean, I, I always say that you know we miss not just really important life events, but everyday life events, and those things are you know add up to be just as important. Um, And I think if the mothers really started to understand what that actually meant, that they would want better for us. I know they do. I know they Mm -hmm. want better for us because they love us and they care about us. Um,
0: Yeah, that's very well said. I agree. So when you left, you finished Oregon. Yep. Well, my first question is before going on to your um, next stage. Did they continue that when you left? Do you know?
1: I think they did for a short time, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not in very close contact with them, um, and so I'm not sure what's going on now, to be perfectly honest.
0: Okay. Yeah. I would just be curious if they said, oh, this is yeah. great.
1: Well, you know, it still was, at the time, really kind of <laughs> incredible, and um, I do think that it, the the culture is changing a little bit now, but still, there still is this understanding that yeah that's just not really how it is to be a student midwife so I don't think there were as many students who would have fought to keep it up Mm
0: -hmm. if it
1: was trying to change back
0: yeah so you left Oregon yes yes and what did you do next
1: I came back to Atlanta um which is Where my whole family is, Um, if my whole family was not here, I certainly would have stayed in Oregon because I just love, love, loved it there. Um, And it's a great place to practice as a midwife. Mm -hmm. I heard that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I came back and I finished school. I took the NARM. I got my CPM and I applied to speak at the MANA conference, which, strangely enough, was going to be in Atlanta that year um, and talk about my experience and the changes that I wanted to make. Uh, I didn't start practicing right away because I didn't have anybody that I was going to be able to partner with right away. Um, And I, I knew that I didn't want to start a practice as a solo practice midwife. So I continued working as a nanny and I was assisting midwives at the time. Um, a couple of different new midwives in the area that, you know, wanted a second midwife to come with them. And so I was doing that. And I got accepted to speak at MANA. So that was sort of shocking and really cool. So I think I came home uh, in June, and then spoke in October at the conference. And there were because it was here in Atlanta, there was a number of people in Atlanta, um, specifically a number of students who were almost finished that came to hear my talk. And um, it went over really well. And I had a lot of people come up and talk to me afterwards, including a girl named Paige, who also ended up calling me when she finished about six months later and asked me what I was doing. And I said, you know, nothing, still waiting. And she was like, well, I'm your girl. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then there was another midwife in town who had been um, a midwife in California for a long time. And then she moved here and was just acting as a doula for a number of years. And she had also met with me. We went out to lunch and um, she said she wanted to be on my short list because I was looking for three people. Like you said, when it's two, it's, hard to actually mm-hmm. get real time off so i wanted to wait until i had three midwives that were going to work together in a group so margaret wanted to be on the shortlist. page called me said she was ready to go so i called margaret and we hooked up and um, started a practice with three midwives and we took turns um being on call two of us would go to each birth we always had one midwife who was on call first call and one midwife who was on call second call and so um, the first call midwife would take you know the emergency calls and the labor calls and do the labor sitting and that kind of thing and then whenever things got going the second midwife would go um, and join her for the birth same thing for appointments so the first call midwife would do most of the appointments but if she had to go to a birth the second call midwife would do the appointments while you know, the woman was in early labor or whatever. Um, And it worked out great. Um, I literally found out I was pregnant the day that we put our website live. And so, and I had a rough pregnancy. (laughs) Um, So I was taking less call than they were. I was probably only on call about seven or eight days a month. And they were on call about 18 each. Um, and then I had my baby. I took a little bit of time off. I took three months off and then went back when he was three months old and he went to births with me for a while. And then, um, I think he was about eight months old or something and, you know, getting mobile. And I decided that I wanted to just spend time with him so I decided that I um wanted to take a break from practicing and spend be able to be kind of the mother that I've always planned on being and and be available to him and then in addition to that the stuff with Believe in Midwifery I spoke at three conferences last year um I released an e-course last year so I'm I'm doing a lot of stuff uh with Believe in Midwifery that I think I wouldn't be able to do if I was also practicing. Um, and definitely not all three of those things, mothering and practicing and doing the education stuff. So, so now he's about 20 months old. And so I've been not actually practicing with my practice, um, for about a year now.
0: Um, Um, So I have a couple questions because I think for people that maybe want to make that jump from leaving practice to being uh, more present, how did that go over with the, your colleagues? Great.
1: Um, They knew, so I got married when I was 34 and was, you know, ready. My husband and I were planning on having kids kind of right away because I wanted to have a family and I want to have a number of children. And um, so they knew that that was on my radar and they knew that I was kind of going to play it by ear. I was going to see how it felt to to work with him. And um, and so they were super supportive. You know, I, I think one of the things that's important about making this group practice model and this sustainability model work is that you have other midwives that you're working with who are fully on board um, with the idea of, you know, that midwifery isn't supposed to be our lives, that midwifery is super important. We help so many women, um, but there's also so many ways that you can support women. And I think, you know, even though I'm not currently practicing, I think, there's a lot of what I am doing, both professionally with Believe in Midwifery and just in my personal life with, you know, women that I know and um, women that are in my community, uh, that you can continue being a midwife. And, I, you know, I I don't feel like I have actually stepped away. I mean, I, I consider myself a midwife 100%. You know, I still... Um, have the skills and when somebody calls me and needs me to go to a birth because, you know, they're at another one or something like that. Like, you know, it's happened a few times this year and I've been able to make it work and help. Um, but yeah, so it went over great with them. They're, they were, you know, it was a bummer because it was going to change up what they had going on. Um, but they knew it's what I needed and wanted. And so they were, yeah, fully supportive.
0: Did they find any, a third person yet?
1: Well, believe it or not, the other one, Paige, um, started doing, so we have some licensure stuff going on in Atlanta, and Paige kind of also decided to step back for a while and work whole hog on the licensure stuff, so that's what she's doing, and Margaret has gone back currently to, um, she does take some births. And she actually was with me when I was at my brother's birth just a couple of weeks ago. Um, So she's still doing some births as a midwife, but um, also still doing a lot of doula stuff. I mean, we all have hope that, you know, eventually I'm going to be ready to go back and, Mm -hmm. um, or the, the bigger that this message kind of spreads, there's going to be more, more midwives who are looking for that kind of a, um, a
0: practice. So, And just to piggyback on that, totally different world, but, you know, there's solo practice OBs Mm -hmm. out there. They have also began partnering up with other OB practices. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, you know, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and and this is my practice, and this is my patient panel, but then I'm not on call seven days a week.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I share the call with other practices because they also realize... (laughs) I mean yeah I it's not you know
1: and, and that's some of the thing that I talk about like um with believe in midwifery is that it's not just inconvenient and annoying like it it negatively affects our health in
0: mm-hmm.
1: a, a, a number of real ways um and not just our health but also the health of our families really so um
0: and in turn I truly believe that your the care you give can be compromised
1: I agree. I agree 100%. Yep, I agree 100%. You know, you, there's just, you'll start telling a lady to start walking up and down the stairs or um, encourage her to push or change positions or something. You know, it just gets us a little bit more ready to get things moving. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just have seen that, you know, too many times when the midwife that I want to be is one of those ones Tired. who's. Well, yes, but also just, you know, sitting on my hands and letting this woman do the work and supporting her and, um, you know, not feeling anxious to get out of there, because even as much as we try to hide that and, and, you know, like I said, shove it down, um, I think there are times where it shows, and you hear that from mothers sometimes, too.
0: Yeah. So, with your course... What does someone get? I, I don't want you to give it all away because I know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I, there's
1: a lot of, uh, I think, um, there's a lot of stuff about sort of boundaries and communication and expectations and um, self-awareness, self like true self-care stuff about. Because I think there are too many midwives, too many women who go into midwifery who struggle with, you know, being a people pleaser or being a yes person or being a, um, I think there's codependency issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, So really the sort of brunt of the course is kind of figuring out why you're doing this work um, and what you need. Uh, as an individual to make the work sustainable for you because of course you know as you said you're learning by talking to all these midwives across the whole country you know there's different laws about what kinds of organizations you can have if it's a partnership or a limited liability corporation or you know those kind of things are different also when you tack on different legislation in different states and different uh Uh, insurance things you know I mean the home birth community is and home birth practices are certainly not um, cohesive in any sense of the word so it's not a step-by-step step-by-step guide to create you know it's not like take this course and you're going to have a thriving group practice in six weeks you know (laughs) Um, the people that take the course have to be willing to do the work but they um, it gets them thinking about all the right things to figure out how to make this career last
0: for them. Do you provide suggestions such as what you did, the template in Oregon?
1: Yes. I have a couple of different options of schedules and a couple of different options of budgets.
0: Um,
1: But yeah, there's really not a lot of specific business planning Mm -hmm. um, information in the course. It's, it's definitely more, um, sort of, I get, I I like to say it's like teach a man to fish as opposed to give a man Mm -hmm. a fish kind of, Mm -hmm. um, so it helps people figure out how to set up their own thing and, and talks about, you know, delegation and, um, you know, hiring a biller if that's something that makes your head spin or, um. And another benefit of having a group is that there are some people who really like making the schedule. There are some people who really like staying on top of the stocking list. And, you know, so you can sort of share some of those burdens as well.
0: Yeah. And oh, gosh, I didn't even think about those little things. Yeah.
1: And then actually also, in addition to that, there's because i was finding as i was working on the course and as i was speaking at conferences and talking to people i mean i get emails from people and instagram messages from people all the time about their unique situations and um i kind of was like a broken record like you know you have to have a partner or else you're screwed and i do still feel that way <laughs> i mean ultimately i don't think that solo practice is good for anyone no matter whatever um but I understand that there are people who are in certain circumstances that won't let them have a partner, you know, at mm-hmm. the moment. And so I also have a whole section at the end, which is kind of about stress relief and stress reduction and different ways to set up your life and some like brain tricks and, you know, things about how eating quickly raises your cortisol levels or, making sure you get enough sleep, like that kind of stuff. So it's sort of a, like, survival guide at the end for how to, you know, minimize the inevitable amounts of stress that you're going to have, but how to sort of minimize them and keep them in check as you're working towards finding um, somebody to join up with.
0: Now, you – who do you think could would want to take or benefit from this course? Because in my opinion – it's a vast audience.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I always kind of have to, or maybe I don't. I mean, if you're if you're saying that, because I always sort of give a disclaimer whenever I'm talking that what I have to talk about is home birth midwives in America specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've gotten emails from people in New Zealand and I've gotten emails from CNMs that do have time off call. And I've gotten emails from... Um, even the woman who runs the birth center in the Philippines just messaged me the other day. And, you know, so, so I think there is a lot of this, um, that is universal for people mm-hmm. who are in the healthcare field field, specifically the stuff about, you know, self-awareness and boundaries.
0: Exactly. And
1: yeah, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, of course think that there is a lot of benefit that everybody could get, but, but again, you need to be ready and willing. You know, it's not a magic bullet. Um, you have to be ready to do some interpersonal work in order mm-hmm. to um, to get to get through it. Uh, but, you know, of course, anything worth worth doing is going to take some time and energy. And I hope that uh, when people finish, they feel Sort of an, a renewed sense of purpose and motivation and sort of excitement about, you know, because I also talk a lot, actually, in the course in the beginning. The first section is about the importance of midwives, um, you know, about the maternity care crisis in America and how we can have a huge impact and, you know, home birth midwives is serves less than 2% of the population. CNM serve less than 10% of the population. And that's not enough Mm -hmm. to solve the crisis. There needs to be more of us. And if there is more of us, we can make a dent like what we do saves women's lives. It doesn't just improve outcomes. I mean, it improves outcomes on a wide range of things, postpartum depression, breastfeeding rates, um, you know, extreme morbidities, but, also mortality. I mean, you know, midwives save lives. They do. And so if we can sort of get more women um, to do this work, then we could
0: save women's lives. We could make maternity care better. Yeah. So. Which is why all these things I hear you saying, like, there's so many people that could... You know, I'm going to give you an example as a new grad C.N.M. Sometimes we go, oh, I'm going to take this job because it's a job, but the pay is low, and I actually work 70 something hours a week, yeah. and I'm seeing 30 to 35 patients a day. Yeah. Um. So, reflecting on, is this actually what you want to do? Self care, where are your boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, or or people, you know, the U.K. They have many more midwives, but I know that they often are overworked and right. underpaid and yeah um so I really do I mean to caveat, you know disclaimer I haven't taken the course but I should it sounds great I'm happy in my work life right now good um but good. I can see the benefit of the course for so many people not yeah. just CPMs at home and I was a CNM at a home birth practice as well
1: mm-hmm. and
0: there are plenty out there mm-hmm. that are, are CNMs also that work home births and this would be I have a personal friend that was a solo practice CNM. She was on a couple podcasts ago and she eventually brought somebody on because she realized Mm -hmm. she can't just keep going like this. Yeah. She's doing the billing on her own and (gasps) the supplies, like everything and has five kids or four kids. Right. I can't remember.
1: Yeah. And, and there's so many women like that and there's so many women who start, uh, you know, and realize what it's going to be. And so they stop. And for me, when I was a student, there were no, you know, all I saw was solo practice home birth midwives out there on the edge of burnout everywhere I looked. And so that's what it's still like for students mostly. I mean, most of the time in home birth practices, it's midwives who are on in solo practice on the edge of burnout. And so um, you know, we need students to be able to and women that think about becoming midwives to see that you can it doesn't have to be that way exactly you know, it, so in order when you to
0: presented that schedule and they said would well, you're learning about what midwife life is like but no right learn yeah. about it how it should be and change yeah. it and could be right yes yeah yeah you're doing amazing things
1: <laughs> thank you I'm trying
0: yeah we, we have to change the culture of so many things of who's practicing midwifery, of how we treat people, especially in the medical institution we call hospitals
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the way we practice. Yeah, it's
1: and sometimes it definitely feels overwhelming, you know, um, but that's why I think it's so important to remember that what we do is so important. Um, And that what we do is so important because that's what believe in midwifery means is that midwifery is so important. You know, there's too much ego out there and of women thinking that what they do is so important and what the type of midwife they are for their clients. Um, But ultimately, you know, so that's what what keeps people all too often from hiring another partner is because, you know, they think they're not going to. Be the same, and of course, Mm -hmm. they're not, but not all women need the same kind of Mm -hmm. midwife. Um, And if we are truly practicing the midwife's model of care um, you know, women centered and individualized and respectful, and all of those things that is what improves outcomes, that is what saves lives.
0: And I think, from a client mother perspective, sometimes hearing the perspective of two or three providers or expert midwives is actually better.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think it's the same for, for apprentice midwives to, to learn from multiple preceptors, I think is so valuable as opposed to just learning from one midwife the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. doing things the way that she does them. And, um, and yeah, for moms too, I think it's great to, you know, all the, and we got that feedback from our clients, you know, whenever we started, there was other midwives in the area who are like, You know, I don't know how that's going to work. And but we never had anybody question it. You know, they came to the consults and we would tell them about the benefits and that they were going to get a midwife who's well rested and that we take time off because we care about, you know, our own personal lives and our own care for them. And, um, yeah, nobody questioned it. And then the feedback we would get was that they loved, you know, knowing different midwives and getting different perspectives because Paige, Margaret, and I were all in different stages of life Mm -hmm. Um, and we have different experiences. You know, somebody would ask about hemorrhoids and somebody would say rootin and somebody would say potatoes, you know, like there's different things that you don't, when someone sends you a text message, you have an answer in your head and you can't think of all the possibilities and there's all kinds of things that might work for somebody. And so it's great to get different experiences and different um ideas because we all have different experiences with things that work for us you know margaret Mm. was knew a lot about herbs and um i know a lot about pregnancy and postpartum exercise and you know so it's like there's a huge benefit in in getting advice and care from multiple women i think yeah yeah and i think it also sort of brings Two things. I think it brings community, you know, back that this is like women helping women as opposed to just this one on one intimate um, relationship. And I sometimes think that that one on one intimate relationship can create codependency on the mother. And I think when there's a mother who has three midwives who are all giving her different ideas and suggestions, that mother gets to decide which one she wants to do, you know. And so I think there's a lot of I mean, I hate this word, but like empowerment of yes, of, of being the woman um, in that kind of practice who has multiple midwives instead of just one midwife who you listen to because she's your midwife. Yeah. Um, and excellent. also not relying on her to be there for you when you go into labor, you know, that you need your midwife. Um,
0: that you yeah, get those to are excellent you know, points. Yeah. And I don't think you people always think about that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, the benefits are, you know, I have, I think there's some of that in the course, too. And I talk about it on Instagram and things. But yeah, the benefit, there's tons of benefits to everybody, to midwives, to mothers, to students.
0: Mm -hmm. And even from this medical institution, we have our fallacies for sure. But I have people often ask, were you are you going to see me throughout my whole pregnancy and be there for the birth? And I will say, you know if i'm on call the day you're on i'm happy to i'll be excited to be there but but no you're going to see three or four other midwives they're wonderful it's great for you to hear their perspective in addition to mine because we all have something we're good at and knowledgeable about and they may know things i don't as well as vice versa mm-hmm. so it's the same thing in all settings really mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah or should be and um yes should be and and also i think it helps women sort of fi- find their own unique communities of support too. You know, I think it's great for when I see women that have their mom or their sister or their best friend or something at a birth. I think sometimes people rely on their midwife or their doula in a lot of cases, um, you know, to be this support person that then disappears, you know, like that's not who you're going to call at three o'clock in the morning when your baby's Mm -hmm. three months old and, you know, coughing all night or whatever. Uh, So I think there's something really great about encouraging women to kind of, you know, find women in their own communities to, to start being their support people earlier in their mothering journeys.
0: Yeah. Wow. So much more than just, <laughs> just a course. I mean, so really so powerful. Thank you. Really. I, I, this has been a great, great conversation. Cool. I loved it. Um, I don't even know what else to ask you because it was so wonderful. Okay. Give me, give me some, first, tell me all your social medias. So everybody knows where to find you.
1: Okay. Well, I only have one social media. It's, and it's Instagram and it's believe in midwifery. Um, I also have a website, which is www.believeinmidwifery.com. There's not a lot of action happening over there on the. Website, but it does have actually. There's a few videos and stuff um, on there which goes into a little bit more of what I've been talking about. Um, also, an events list about where I'm going to be and when, if anybody wants to hear more. And then I, my email address is midwifemadeline at gmail.com. and I encourage people to reach out to me because I really do want to help you. Um, and I feel like I'm better at answering emails than I am at answering Instagram messages because sometimes they get lost in the shuffle. So Mm -hmm. if you want to have a real question, um, send me an email. But of course, you know, you can reach out to me on Instagram, too, and hopefully I'll catch it. But sometimes I don't.
0: (laughs) Uh, Do you have any speaking scheduled for like 2020 yet?
1: Yes. So far, I'm going to be at the Gold Online Midwifery Conference. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm doing a individual talk there. Um, I think it's on February 10th, and then I'm also going to be part of a panel on sustainability. So I have two sessions on the online midwifery conference, which the gold online midwifery conference, which I think goes through February. And then um, I'm doing a individual, a group from South Carolina or maybe North Carolina reached out to me, and so I'm going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina on April 29th. And um, we're working on a handout kind of thing. So that'll be on my social media soon. So anybody that's in the area um, will be able to come see me in Charlotte. So I'm available for, you know, groups like that. I spoke at the Michigan Midwives Conference once. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, even if it's not big things, if somebody wants to call me and fly me out, I'm happy to come.
0: Mm-mm.
1: But my baby yeah. will come with me. <laughs> mm,
0: as as the baby should. Yes. Definitely. Well, thanks for this wonderful conversation. I think a lot of people are going to hear these words and get a lot out of it. And I'm excited to share your message.
1: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And like, again, yeah, I'm so glad we finally got to connect. We probably have enough to talk about. I can come back another time.
0: I know. We're going to have to do a part two. for (laughs) Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed another great episode midwifery if you want to purchase madeline's course use the code journey 10 for 10 percent off and remember there's 10 meac ceus if you need those you can find madeline at believe believe in midwifery on instagram and you can find me at the mothering midwife or journey to midwifery.org thanks friends